The Green Top Outdoors podcast is brought to you by the Mike Chenault Group, Hometown Realty. They are sportsmen and realtors. The only thing they love more than hunting and fishing is selling great pieces of land and homes. Dream homes on the river where you can fish right from your dock to land where you can adventure to your heart's content. Hometown Outdoors can help you find it. Let our friends at the Mike Chenault Group help you get the outdoor space you need. For homes or land in Central Virginia, visit hookupwithhometown.com. That's hookupwithhometown.com and click Outdoors to learn more. Hunting, fishing, and all things outdoors. It's not just a hobby, it's a lifestyle. Welcome to the Green Top Outdoors podcast with your host, Hunter Brooks. Good, we rolling? All right. Todd Jarrett. Welcome, sir. How are you? I'm fine, Hunter. My God. Man, uh, you look good. You know what? I mean, I feel good. I mean, good. I, you know, weather's breaking, and I can't wait to go out and shoot some bullets. Well, I uh, shot some yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, 400 rounds yesterday. I was going like, what's well, like um, $800 worth of ammo, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we got yeah. Travis on the podcast with us here today, too. But, man, special guest today. we got Todd Jarrett with us. Todd's old. He's a Virginia boy. Yeah, and I am local. You're, and you know what, man? You got, I Googled you. You know, just just for fun, I mean, you're on Wikipedia, man. That's that's like, that's awesome, man. You're on Wikipedia. And, well, you know, you got you got more championships than Tom Brady. I do actually have more than Tom, you and do. I and, and I'm a big Tom fan. I'm so happy he won the Super Bowl this year. It's kind of good for the old guys, you that's know, right, man? Exactly. It's time for you to win another championship this year, right? Uh, you know what? I'm feeling good. I always do good on odd years for there some you, reason. So it's go. always been over the years. So I won my first nationals in '91. So I yeah. would. Yeah, 30 years ago. Oh, my right. God. Time's flying. Mm. So, Well, it's an honor to have you here. You know, for anybody listening that doesn't know who Todd Jarrett is, you will know everything about Todd Jarrett by the end of this episode. Todd's a professional shooter. He's been in the shooting industry for practically your whole life. Yeah, I have. And, you know, how did it all start for you, man? Wow. Um, uh, so I killed my first deer when I was seven years old in Sussex County. And uh, my father actually taught me how to, you know, use a gun safely get into hunting and i was tromping around the woods with him since i was five years old and we ran across a picture of me the other day my my mother just recently passed away we found this picture of me when i was two years old and i had two plastic revolvers on my on my side <laughs> and my wife she goes um oh my god if he only knew what you were going to do you know 57 years later where you'd be in the industry so it's been kind of, it's been interesting so for me personally, um, Green Top has been a part of my life since I was a teenager. I mean, I remember buying bait, going over there and fishing in Lake Anna years ago, stopping right. at the old store over right. there. Yeah. And, uh, and Travis, I don't know if you were, I mean, I don't know how long you've been over there or not. So this is my 28th year. Oh, you were a rookie then. Yeah, you won. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how I got into the shooting sports was really kind of odd. I was 19 years old and somebody stuck a gun in my face one night. I was working in Richmond for a company called American Tobacco, and I got over there, and I was on on Murray Street, and it was about 2.30 in the morning. I was a mechanic, and I got called in because I was a young guy. So, oh, you got to go fix a plumbing problem. So, 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting in on Murray Street, got off of 95, and I'm sitting there, and my door opens up, and the guy stuck a gun in my face. And I literally just didn't know what to do. Young kid, I just gassed and went right through the light. This guy goes tumbling, and I book on the work, and... And I, ended up, I was all nervous and didn't know what to do. And I was talking to some of my buddies uh, later on uh, the next day. And they go, I tell you, I'll come shoot with us. There's an indoor range over here in, uh, for Turner Road. And why don't you come, you know, come over and hang out with us? So I was going like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll come over there. So every Friday night, 
we would go over there and start, you know, banging some bullets out and, and they're going like, okay, who can get closer to the X? And I was going like, next thing I know, I started doing pretty good. I was right. beating all the local guys, you know, in, you know, in there. <laughs> and so I, I figured out what competition was with handguns and which is the most difficult of all the firearms to master. And so one thing led to another, they started doing some informal competitions and I've got pretty good at it. And, and then Isaac Walton Lee, which was out 60 at the time, mm-hmm. They started shooting matches over there, action shooting called IPSC. IPSC. Yeah, so when when did that did IPSC start? About the early eighties. Started or it- in the actually late seventies. Okay. Um, okay. Jeff Cooper, who was a gunsight guy, who okay. actually right. started yep. the leather slap shooting days, is what he did. So Jeff's kind of started that, you know, uh, ability for people to get into shooting sports, and he was kind of like the innovator of that. Okay. Didn't Bill Wilson have something to do with that? Oh too? God! Oh my God! Bill Wilson, Chip McCormick. You know, uh, like the early Michael Plasco, right, uh, Rob Latham, a guy named Brian Enos, a lot of people know yep, about in yep. the shooting industry. Yeah. And so I kind of was on the, on the very early stage of that. They had been in the game for a while because I didn't start shooting actually competitively until March of 84. Okay. Even though I was in the shooting sports part right. of that. And it was, it was one of the games where I was like, I was good at it. I had good reflexes and you know, I have. I was young and motivated, and it was one of the games where it was actually very popular in the area. That was more of a running gun type oh, deal back in the day. It was. It was really, you know, kind of outlaw, yeah, kind of like yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. But you know, so I got to see all these guys come along who already were national and world champions, and Bill Wilson being one, and Les Bear, who was also in it, and Les actually built me a gun back in the eighties, and you guys oh, got him on the shelf in there. You know, That's Les cool. is on. Uh, and Les and I are real, we're really good for close friends today, along with Chip McCormick. I mean, anybody who has been in the shooting sports, oh, yeah. uh, if you don't own it's the a Chip, fraternity. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you don't own a Chip McCormick magazine, there's something wrong with you, That's you know? Right. That's right. So, uh, you know, and Chip and I are actually really close today. We, uh, we, we speak probably every couple of weeks and chat, and he lives in Texas and now he's out of Austin and has some how his donkeys are doing. And, and uh, <laughs> so he's retired now. But yeah, so essentially that started. And in about 1987, I shot my first national championship uh, in a little place called Barry, Illinois. So I was always kind of a motivated individual anyways. I used to race motorcycles, motocross when I was a teenager until I got broke up really bad. My mother goes, that's it. Getting rid of, getting rid of those <laughs> motorcycles. The only things that kill you. And then I got in the gun. She goes, oh my God, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> so essentially once that happened, I was going to dedicate it, you know, for five years. So I was going like, if I can't win a national championship in five years of working hard at it, then I'm going to get out. Well, during this time, you're still working full time, right? I am. I'm working full time. you're was, shooting on the side. Yeah. So that's, that's what I was going to ask you. a lot you. of time. When, yeah. when did your career go from being an everyday average working guy to working in the industry and this was the deal. Well, a lot of your listeners out there, um, you, you guys know a company called Paraordinance. I was going to oh, say, yeah. that's okay. when I first met you. You were a... Yeah, so in 1990, Pearl well, Paraordinance started in Scarborough, on Canada. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so a guy worked there who I, sh- you know, I shot with on the circuit up and down the East Coast, he called me up and go like, hey, well, you pretty good shooter. You'd be interested in shooting one of our products. So in 1990, they brought me on as a sponsored shooter. Now I was still working full time at the time. And I was married and had a kid. And, you know, one thing led to another. I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. They were helping me out on some entry fees and motel, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, reservations here or there. And then one thing led to another. I came on board with them. And so in 1991, I won my first national championship using Paraordinance Gun. And so that kind of kicked off my, because at the time, 
the Chip McCormick's, the Rob Latham's, uh, a guy named Jerry Barnhart. These guys have been winning all through the 80s. And I was the first guy to step into that to become an outsider to somebody who was not a true professional while I was still working and won the national championship. And that's when Safari Land picked me up. So mm-hmm. you guys got, you know, yeah. Safari Land holsters. And oh, yeah. so, so is um, this when things, I mean, in your mind, you were thinking, all right, well, I could, I, I could be onto something here. This could be. Actually, it wasn't until 1995. Okay. 95. passion was always there, but the yes. opportunity to. It just really wasn't there for me. I, you know, I was I was married and had a kid at the time. Right. So in 95, I lost my job in American Tobacco. I was used to work for American Tobacco off of Jeff Davis Highway. And um, they said, well, Todd, you you know, we, we're laying everybody off. You know, we're going to give you a year's worth of severance pay. And I was going like, oh, good. So I said. Um, a lot of ammo. I said, one year <laughs> off. I'm getting paid for it. And I'm already kind of in the industry. I said, I'm going to give us a shot. I said, I'm going to go full-time now. So I quit my job and went full-time in 95. And then in 1996, I won the world championship, and that changed my whole life. My life changed in the whole world of shooting and ended up being just truly a, really a blessing for me. I mean, so many people come out of war work and help me. And the key thing about the firearms industry, we're like a big family, as you well know. I mean, everybody is a family. I mean, everybody respects everybody. Yep. You know, we all respect other people's products, whether we like it or we don't like it, yep, yep. you know, and it's really probably, I say, that one of the last industries, and I say that we can say that we're family. Yeah, we look out for each yeah. other. Everybody's got everybody's back. Right. I mean, it's- yeah, I've said that with all the shooting sports. I don't care what you do, shotgun, handgun, rifle. People are always willing to help. People are always willing to teach. Sure, sure. You know, a lot of sports isn't like that. Yeah. It's not. So, um, you know, we can talk about that, you know, in a few minutes. But, you know, to, to try to find out how the industry really works, it's a lot of mom and pop operations. So building relationships with those individuals in which I, I got an early start. I had some really good people along the way. I said, Todd, you really, you know, you got to respect these people. You need to understand that you've got to spend the time to be able to promote these people products. And, you know, I started teaching then about that period of time. And so on teaching competition shooting. And then I was doing some CCW, just helping people out. And it was kind of, you know, CCW really wasn't popular then. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I had people like Steve Hornady at Hornady Manufacturing. Steve came on board, started giving me bullets. And I I always tell this story about Steve Hornady, who's one of the greatest guys in the industry. Yes. You know, I told Steve. His dad, I've met them both. Oh, awesome. And, you know, and so I told Steve, I said, you know, I, I, I've shot a million of horny bullets because I was shooting them back in the 80s. And I was going, well, I shot a million. I'm going to give me a half a million. I mean, he goes, yeah, I give you a good price on them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, but Steve and I go way back. My period of time there. So after I won in the world championship in 96, it kind of kicked off my career. So from 95, I would say until 2005, I was kind of the guy. I won almost, I would say I was winning pretty much 80% of all the major matches in the country. Yeah. If I wasn't winning, I was either second or third. And so Rob Latham, who's with Springfield Armory now, Rob and I, we shoot together. And we were hard competitors, you know, between each other. Uh, another guy named Jerry Barnhart. And there was a couple other guys came along the way. but So it was it was a rivalry, but it was a good rivalry, right? I mean. Yeah. It's, it's, let's say it's better today than it was then. Okay. <laughs> we were younger and we had more. But you t- need that in yeah. sports. You got to yeah. push each other. Well, I was yeah. going to ask you, too, because right, but you say, all right, you won your first world championship in 96. Prepping for that. I mean, training for that. 
it, it's a lot of focus. It's a lot of shooting. I mean, what what did you do to prep to to prepare yourself to do that? Well, I'll tell everybody that I hound a gun four hours a day every day for ten years straight. Wow, I mean, that's, that's a, not shooting. That's handling. That's, that's dry firing. So I would go up in the morning, five thirty or six o'clock in the morning, and dry fire for an hour, two hours in the morning. Then I go to range, and then I would shoot, test, work, do what I got to do, come back home, reload because. You know, I mean, I've reloaded nothing but Dillon products over the years and got 1050s out of the butt, you know. Right. And so one thing led to another. You had to spend the time. So I was shooting 120, 140,000 rounds a year. And so with that comes a lot of time in the sense of now you got to have equipment, you know. So now you got to find the right gunsmiths, the guys who are building guns for you. They had to be super accurate. They got to be super reliable. And then we went to this huge transition period in the 80s and 90s on building components or parts just for the 1911. So what you see on a 1911 or 2011 pistol today, it's truly all the innovation came from the action shooting sports. All of it came from us. You know, everything developing safeties and sights and adjustable this and new barrels and better magazines and better bullets and powder. They were really on top of us. You know, what do you guys need? You know, Chris Hodge and he was kind of like, they would come up and go like, what do you guys want? What are you looking for? Another good thing about the industry. Another feedback. great thing. I mean, they accept feedback. They want the feedback they from the, the user feedback. and the dealer. Yep. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I, I didn't realize that, that y'all worked that closely with so many people back then. I mean, well, it was. And, and you think about all the, you know, the, the companies that were involved in building the 1911-2011 pistol that came along. STI came along at that period of time. Paraordinance was in the game. Springfield was in the game. Yeah. Uh, even Bill Wilson actually had, you know, Bill was really a, a big innovator in that time. And so the shooting sports exploded in the 90s. I mean, you were having 200, 250,000 people shooting every single weekend somewhere in the United States, in, in every single club, in every single state, and around the world. I mean, I was traveling to Europe and Asia and Africa and Central America and South America I mean, I was traveling around the world on a regular basis. And um, so it was actually, I, I mean, I tell everybody I can write a book just traveling, you know, um, and, you know, traveling with guns and dealing with the, you know, dealing with the industry. And so I, I think the, the biggest thing that I bring out of the shooting industry is my development of the techniques that I developed in the 80s, a lot of us did, that are mainstream today. So what you see in special operations, in the military, in law enforcement, all that stuff came from us. So because a pistol was the hardest thing to, to, you know, to really manage and get people to shoot. And it's still the toughest firearm today. I mean, as we know, you guys. Extremely difficult. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I got into training on the military side and the government side, and that actually kind of subsidized my shooting because I was still I'm still making money in the industry, but it wasn't, it's not what you think it is. It's, right, you know, right. people are going, like, oh, he's a sponsored shooter. He gets everything free to him. I'm going, like, really? Uh, I like <laughs> to tell you uh, how much money I, I spend in ammo, yeah. okay, every year. And it's interesting. And so, so the development of the firearms that we did all, over the years actually transitioned into holsters, body armor, gas masks, gloves, everything. Cause then I went to work for Blackhawk in, in, uh, in 2000. And five, I went to work with um, Mike Knoll, who was on Blackhawk. He was actually a former Navy SEAL. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had worked with the SEAL teams in the past. And Mike was a guy who was a senior guy and came along. And then he retired and came on board. 
uh, along with Eric Prince, who was a good friend of mine, who from Blackwater. Mm-hmm. And so I was in the development stage of designing ranges back in the, back in the late 90s. So I was actually involved in new holsters, new everything. I mean, it's kind of like, Todd, what do you think about this? You think this holster's quick? Uh, it's too slow, man. It just don't have the right belt system. It don't have the right you know feel to it. Mechanism's not correct. And so all that came out of the competition, guys, because we were developing just the smallest little techniques of things that would make someone faster, whether it be in law enforcement, whether it be in military or in government agencies, which was the cool side of the game. And it's crazy how a lot of that has just shaped what the industry is today. It's, and a lot of people just don't realize that that's kind of where it was born, you know, um, was, you can, you can see that going back to what you just said. When you see a a law enforcement officer now, just look at his holster. Back in the day, it was the shiny leather with the big thumb snap. Right. Now, of course, we got retention, but if you look at the rigs that these officers are wearing, you can see where it came from the shooting sport. Yeah. So, yeah, so a quick, quick little story I'm sure about everybody out there listening to this. You may have a Serpa holster, and we have sold millions of those to Blackhawk. Well, here's a quick story. I was working for Safari Land, and I was in Ontario, California, and Mike Knoll, who was the, the owner of Blackhawk, he calls me up. The phone rings. I went, hey, Mike, what's going on? Hey, Todd. When you come to work for me, I was going like, wow, I was getting ready to sign a new contract with Safari Land. He goes, whatever it is, I can better it. I said, okay. He goes, I got something I got to show you, and you got to see it. So he goes, uh, when you come back home, so well, a couple of days, he goes, can you, can you come home tomorrow? I was going like, can you meet me at Blackwater? I went, yeah, I can do that. So I literally got on a plane. I was out there shooting a competition, shooting a world championship and steel challenge, and flew back home early. Got off the plane in Richmond and drove straight to Blackhawk. And Mike had showed me this device, this locking device for the Serpa holster. Right. He goes, what do you think about it? And so I'm sitting there with a bunch of engineers and we're sitting on a range. And I was going like, well, the angle's wrong. This is incorrect. You need to do this. You need to put a shelf here. Uh, I don't like how this is hitting my hand. And we were making changes literally on the spot. And that holster came out of the feedback that I gave them to be the success it is today, and they've sold close to twenty million yeah, of those it's, holsters. It's, I mean, it's got to yeah. be the the hottest selling holster around. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's our go to here. Which you know, over the years, it's caught some flack for because it sold twenty million. Yeah, right. right. You know, so it's <laughs> it's hard it, to be on top, right, right? Exactly, it's hard to be on top for everything. So, uh, but no, I, I you know I worked on a lot of projects with holsters. You know, and guys would come up to me and go like, "Hey, Todd, we want to you know build some new body armor." So I said, okay, great, okay. The body armor is great, but we need to be able to contour it here, contour it there, you know, to be able to do different things on it. And so that technology is constantly changing in that world. But it's all about ergonomics when it comes to shooting. So we know that, you know, in law enforcement and military, the primary weapon is going to be a rifle. But their secondary weapon is a handgun. So if they have to go to a handgun, you need to be able to quick and be quick and accurate with it. And so all the retention devices that we come with, level two, level threes, and level fours, and level 29s that are coming down the road. Essentially, what you need to be able to do is have an officer or someone who's in that business be able to have properly be trained on it and be able to be able to get out and do it quickly. And what you can't do that with the old leathers that we used to do years ago. Right. So the technology in that area is all that came out of competition, guys. Right. So for sure. So eventually, 
I mean, you got just, did you get just tired of winning all these championships and wanted to get into something different? Or did you, uh, I mean, no, you, uh, no, you just kept no, on. Because you're still competing now. I'm still competing today. Now, you mentioned something, you know, you talked, you said something about long guns. Now, obviously in the 90s, the handgun competition was where it's at. We're in a different realm now. I mean, we're at, I see you doing PRS, three gun. I mean, it's, it's I've changed shot 17 a lot. different shooting disciplines in my life. And I've been very successful at four of them. The rest of them suck. (laughs) So PRS is very difficult. Let me tell you, I got into PRS a couple of years ago and you guys actually have me in the shop here from my MPA. So um, Phil Cashin, who's a friend of mine. So Phil is building a chassis type bolt gun and they're actually, they're like glass. I mean, they're just unbelievable how accurate, how reliable, how it fits the body. And I was going, this can't be too hard. You got a big, you know, 20 power scope on top of the gun. I'm going, like, oh, I can see the target out there a thousand yards away, throw the bolt, send a bullet. And I come in here where I was aiming. Let me try it again. I yeah. sent it, you know, it's kind of like, and it is an art. The it guys is. that are doing it, that is the fastest growing action shooting sport with a long gun right now in the country. So yeah. three years ago when I got in, when I just started playing around with it, had some army buddies of mine to go like, hey, Todd, you ever you know, trying long guns? I said, no. I said, oh, of course, they're beating up on me, you know, because oh, yeah. they know that game, you know, because these are all former snipers and, you know, they've been in 20 tours in Afghanistan around the world. So I got into it. And so the loading is something that, you know, you have to be spot on with, because if it doesn't shoot hole and hole at, at 100 yards away, you're not going to be able to hit a target at 1,000, 1,200, 1,400, 1,600 yards away. So the game, that game, if somebody's interested in getting into the bolt gun world, that is the game to go to if you like long gun because it's a lot of fun. And there's a wide range of people that are in it. Yep. And they're doing it in rimfire. I got a couple of buddies that are getting into it. The rimfire looks the like rim it's fire. tons of fun. It, I the mean, problem is with the rimfire, which I, I want to do, it's like six grand to get like a, you know, a high dollar bolt gun. Yeah, you know? I know. They've been building. It's, it's yeah. worse than a PRS gun. It's worse you know? than a PRS. So yeah. it's kind of like, I don't even want to get into it. The wife goes, she's going like, why don't you just stay with the centerfire stuff right now? Okay. So, um, so actually my wife actually shoots it with me also. And okay. she also shoots competitively in, in the action shooting sports with me. So you know, I was flipping through, I always watched outdoor channel on Wednesdays cause of shooting. They had the PRS, uh, Armageddon cup last yep. night. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Tom Fuller to with uh, Armageddon. He makes all the bags and everything. And yep. Tom's a good friend of mine. He's a former SF guy who kind of got into, and a lot of those guys get into, you know, building stuff because they saw what they didn't have while yeah. they were in the service. So it's these almost like Ipsic was in the eighties. Yeah, sure, absolutely. You're see yeah. stuff come from this yep. sport. They know what improvements in the, they, that are absolutely. needed. We're already seeing it in today's modern, even hunting rifles. Look at stuff now, like the Ruger American. Now they're taking AR type mags yeah. versus a floor plate or yeah. a right. Great example. Mag. I mean, there's yeah. a look you know, mag yeah. pull stocks. Yeah, look what yeah. Savage is doing. People are oh. hunting with chassis rifles now. Yep. You never would have saw a guy with a chassis rifle hunting 10 years ago. Right. right. So yeah. now you can you can have the perfect fit because, I mean, I've learned so much about the long-range game that, I mean, just a slight can't agree on it, and you, you can miss a target, understanding calling the win, and now we've got Kestrels. You can plug in all the information. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing what the technology is in long range now. It's, these days. it's still in its infancy right now. I mean, it's, it's still young. Yes, it I mean, is. There's yeah. no telling where it can go from here. You know, we haven't touched on three gun yet because I know you're into three gun too. Oh, I love there's, it. There's nothing yeah. you're not into really, but yeah. 
you know, carbine stuff now is incredible. Caliber carbine matches. Pistol caliber carbine matches. But yeah, like a lot of this stuff is just so, it's so young right now. You just don't know where it's going to go. In the carbine world, let's go, let's go five, five, six, two, two, three. So when I got into that game, I started shooting, you know, five, five, six for training wise with army guys and Navy guys back in the uh, 90s. And the guns were really, there were six man of angle guns at 300 yards away. If it's a six inch screw at 300, that was good enough for the big army. Sure. So when three gun kind of kicked off in the early 2000s, we started playing that game and we took that type of system that the AR-15 is and we turned that gun into an 800 yard gun between better bullets, better powder, better barrels, better optics, better handguards that fit to feel the better triggers on the market out there. So literally, uh, JP Enterprise, JP is a good friend of mine, so you might own some, own, if you've had JP's coming JP's here before. JP's are great. They're very good. Awesome. They are, they are unbelievable. Whether it's carbines or his pistol caliber carbines, yes. which I shoot both of them. But uh, I was talking with JP, and I was going like, he goes, oh, yeah, Todd. I said, uh, I said Sierra's got a new 77-grain tip bullet out. I've been testing this in your gun. He goes, oh, my guns only shoot to 69-gram Sierras. Right, so, so, um, yeah. so I'm sending him pictures of shooting one-inch groups, under one-inch groups at 300 yards away. And he's going like, Todd, this is not right. I'm going like, dude, I'm loading 8208 Hodgin <laughs> powder, okay, with a 77-grain new tip Sierra. What Sierra had sent me some bullets. I was testing with those guys, a friend of mine. And I was going like, dude, what I'm doing with this bullet at 800 yards away is insane. Right. I said, you could never get that out of what this gun was built 20 years ago. It was right. just impossible. So the carbine world and the three-gun world took off. We end up changing handguards. And if you've seen the old traditional, you know, AR-15s back in the 80s and 90s that Colt did, uh, which were great guns, like the H-Bar was when the H-Bar came out. You guys remember that. Mm -hmm. right. Oh, my God. It's kind of like, oh, my God, I got a heavy barrel. You know, oh, this got to be badass, you know. Right. But it ended up, ended up being the greatest thing to time. But today, you've got proof barrels. You've got JP barrels. All these guys are making barrels for the carbines. Literally, it's, it's absolutely, you stick a bullet in there, even some junk ammo, they're going to shoot straight because oh, yeah. now the barrel twist is changing so oh, much yeah. on them. Yeah, and all this came on, it, it all came on after, well, the assault weapons ban, when that expired, was at 04. Yeah. yeah. And then you know, we were right in the middle of, I mean, right in the early stages of, well, not really early stages of the Iraq war in Afghanistan, but that's when I think we talked about this on one of our other episodes. That's when the shooting industry really began to change big time. And it, and it became huge opportunities for these companies to do more with carbines, high capacity magazines for, for competition, all that. Do you God, agree with that? You see, oh, I mean, cause I, I've been going to SHOT Show for 30 years. Right. Okay. And so you go to SHOT Show and in 2000, there was 15 AR type companies that were there. Yeah. And then now it's a literally the show. I mean, 10 years later, there was 300 of them. Yeah. It's yeah. like you an know? entire floor now. Right. Exactly. Just, so, just I mean, that's what they, they, they had a whole section just for ARs, you know, it, at the time. So a lot of those companies have died here because of other companies have gone in and really just dominated those areas. Yeah. Uh, like DPMS, you know, those guys, they, they kind of started that. And then you had Bushmaster. They were kind of the king of it. They were. So mm -hmm. yeah. now you look, you got Daniel Defense and you got Yankee Hill and you got Palmetto who's selling 5,000 guns online every 25 seconds, <laughs> you know. So it's like, you know, it's really uh, amazing how that whole part of the industry exploded and then smaller companies died off but all the competition ones actually survived it you know today yeah right. it's like the shooting industry going back to like what hunter said 
it went from people that were hunters that shot to now we just had we have shooters. Right. And that's when the AR kind of become America's rifle. Right. And when people started to learn more about it and what you could do with it and you could customize it however you want, that's the neat part about it. It's all the modularity. And the calibers. And the calibers. Yep. 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 The calibers yep. were, you know, because we had the two two three, and then the three oh eight came out, and then the six eight came out. Six, you know, Barrett came out. I got actually got a Barrett six eight home, and Ronnie Barrett said, oh, you got to check out this gun, man. I was going like, hey, I was going like, I'm kind of interested in that. And, you know, so... We kind of got into that, and it was kind of like, oh, now you can get them in six Creedmoor. You can get them in six Grendel. In, and, yeah, in Grendel. Yeah. You can, I mean, yeah, all uh, these different calibers. Six eight, very, very underrated, man. It is underrated. Uh, that's like the forgotten caliber, man. Yeah. It's uh, six you eight know, SPC. Special yeah. was it? Special per special purpose cartridge, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. something yeah. like that. But it's a very underrated caliber, man. So yeah, so over over all the disciplines I, that I've I've done over the years. The 17, you know, PRS is my 17 different discipline. And, and for me, it's kind of like I still work in the industry. So I work for Hoppies and I work for Staccato now. And so those two companies who I just kind of enjoy. So, I mean, I, I don't work for Blackhawk anymore. Um, they had some major changes along the way and I ended up leaving after 15 years working for them. You know how big companies are and, you know, business. Oh, yeah, this industry is always. Somebody's buying somebody, somebody's or buying merging, somebody or, or, or breaking up, as we know, with Freedom Group and yeah, Bremerton, yeah. you know, and they, they I just, that was a, you know, and, and Freedom Group actually purchased Para Ordinance mm-hmm, in yeah. 2012, and I left right before them because I saw what was happening to the company. Now, I was kind of discouraged about it because I was with the company for 20 years. Yeah, um, was, yeah you were with them a long time. And I was actually time. buying part of the company, believe it or not, uh, and I helped move it from Toronto down to Charlotte, North Carolina. Yep. And um, I was buying part of the company, and one of the owners who were there passed away and died a week before I signed the paperwork. Uh, uh. So I would probably have, my life would have made a huge detour, uh, and I would have been in manufacturing uh, today. What? Those pair of ordnance pistols, especially the Canadian ones, they're hard to find. They're they like hard. collector's items. They bring, they bring yeah. a they premium. They bring good now. money. They do. Yeah. They bring a premium. You, you just don't see them. No. So I got a few of them. I'm sure. I was going to say, we need to come to Todd's house yeah. looking at safe. So, Maybe one or two. Yeah, I'll have to bring them down and show you some show you some classics one day. So uh, Keep the LDAs there. I'm the one who tricked out the LDAs and was involved in that. So it was actually a great product. It was. I just couldn't get the hang of it. Yeah, it was just it was one of those unique um, triggers. It's kind of like when Colt came out with their double double action um, pistol back mm-hmm. in the 90s. That kind of spurred that for pair ordinance. So it's come to a new design for them. Talk Hold on. about yeah. uh, Staccato, because Staccato is one of the best out there right now. Well, yeah, I, I came on board with the company two years ago. They called me up and asked me would I be interested, because they knew my background in competition with the you know 1911-2011 style pistol with the pair ordinance at the time. And so the company was sold off to another group, so purchased the company. And they were formerly STI, mm-hmm. 27 years being in business. Um, new management came in and they came in and go like, okay, take that whole building wall down. We're pulling out every single piece of equipment and we're putting all brand new CNC machines in some of the latest technology, EDM machines, everything you can think of best metal, best material, best coatings. And it's kind of like literally in two years now, staccato, they just changed. They just want to name change what they wanted. Some reason they didn't like STI. There's a lot of things about the word STI, 
um, with other names of people that were attached to that. So they sure. weren't, they really just wanted a new name. Sure. So it's still STI International, but it now called Staccato. I love it. I love so the name. manufacturing of products in the, in, the, in the world of machining, in every facet you can think of, has gotten so much better, not only in five years, but in 10 years. So in the last five years, the actual tolerances, you can make a firearm, how you can machine, how you can manufacture, it's not, never, never happened before. And so now we can make a custom pistol that's going to be essentially, I would say, you know, a gun that would shoot, you know, three inches at 25 yards away. Now you can shoot a one-inch group with it. And now the finishes, just the fit in the field, the barrels, the every the actions on them, it's absolutely amazing what you can do with them with just factory ammo on. Right. I mean, so I mean, so the Staccato line, uh, we're making about eight different models and some different models within those models. Uh, they are they are absolutely amazing. They're like glass. They really are. And they are available at Green Top and Green Top shooting range. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, Todd walks in my office one day and goes, Hey, I got something you need to take a look at. So he sets up a meeting with me and him and Heather. Yeah. You know, she's like the national sales manager comes in. As soon as I handled it, I was like, yeah, we're going to carry these. Yeah. yeah and it's, it, it's, uh, getting them has been good. I mean, they've been, they've been shipping us guns, but man, they go out of here quick. They, they are, I mean, they, they're in high demand. So if you see one and think you want one, if you haven't seen one, you I need to come out and play money one. Down on it. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a it's a off the shelf custum gun yep. in high capacity. And nine millimeter is absolutely so sweet for women to shoot and guys who don't want a lot of recoil. They want an awesome feel. Our XL, which is our four and a half inch, I mean five point five inch barrel on, super soft shooting. Trigger pulls are two and a half pounds on that model in our XC, which is our highest end. Yep. But our um, basically staccato C, which is our carry gun. And our Staccato, Staccato C2, which is our high cap version. So if you haven't seen one or handled one, uh, we're going to do a demo here soon. We're going to mm-hmm. get hooked up over the range, and yeah. I'm going to do a range day with the Staccatos and come by and let everybody shoot them. The yeah. thing I like about them, just certain guns, when you pick it up, you can just feel how well they're made. But it also has some simplicity to it, which I like. You know, some guns are just too tricky. Right. This has got everything. And, it's and, simple. It looks good. It's well made. It feels great. I mean, it's and, and the price for what you're getting is a bargain. It is a bargain. But on top of that, so if you are a traditional 1911, 2011 fan, you're going to find when you take the gun apart, you're going to say, oh, I don't need a bushing wrench to take it apart because we don't use bushing wrenches. So we don't have a bush and we have a toolless guide rod which captures spring and the cap on it to take apart. So it comes apart like a Glock, like a Glock. Yeah. Right. Or, or any of the Smith & Wesson pistols. Very simple. Yep, yeah, very simple. And so everything's made in Texas. We're in Georgetown, Texas, right north of Austin. We're seeing it's the best shooting handgun in the world. And then once you shoot it, our customers go, oh, my God, I got to have one. So it's it's pretty amazing. Everything's made in Texas. Even our bags, even our bags, and we source all of our material literally from the United States. Everything is sourced out of the U.S., um, we're a better-known company. Um, we make everything from our slides to our frames. Um, we EDM cut all our hammers and sears. We get consistent trigger pulls, and they're absolutely a beautiful feeling. And I'm going to tell you, and if you come back and say, hey, this gun won't shoot no better than five inches, call me up. I will bring you to the range, and I'll show you that it shoots two inches or better. <laughs> that's, a, that's a promise from Todd. How many rounds have you shot in your lifetime? I'm over six million. 
over six million rounds. Yeah, I'm sure it was six million rounds for sure. And so my wife and I and a bunch of friends, we were sitting down having having dinner one night and last summer, and we sitting around, we got on a calculator. And I just kind of averaged about, okay, so I shot a bunch of 45s back in the, you know, back in the 80s and, and 38 Super. And then in the in the 90s, I shot a lot of Super. And then I shot a lot of 40 cal. And then I shoot a lot of different guns all the time. So You had your own round, 38 TJ. I got my own cartridge. Yeah, yeah and 38 TJ. How many TJ. people have their own cartridge? <laughs> Other than Roy Weatherby. Right. And so, um, uh, so essentially, we just did an average of a weight grain-wise and I uh, end up being over 75 tons of projectiles I've shot in my life. <laughs> and that's me picking them up and that's loading it. And there's a lot of factory ammo. And, I, and I've been fortunate enough to shoot a lot of, you know, a lot of chain guns and a lot of military weapons over the years. Because it's all free ammo for me. I was going like, hey, guys, can I can I buzz some this with this gun? Oh, yeah, dog, I already had like 400 rounds really quick, you know. But, yeah, so I've got to shoot some really cool guns over my life. And that, and that you know, 75 tons of ammunition, 6 million rounds really – uh, it's probably it's probably more than that because I've shot a lot of shotgun shooting sports over the years. So I've shot sporting clays, I've shot trap, and shot skeet, and then three gun we shoot so much. And I mean, I was shooting 60, 70 cases of double A's a year, you know, uh, as a rule of thumb for shooting three gun. And I mm-hmm. did that for fourteen years. Yeah. So let me ask you this: so uh, I mean, you've obviously achieved a, a lot in competing over the years. I tell people all the time, there's too many kids out there playing video games now. Get them out there and let them shoot. Start them off shooting rimfire or whatever. The competition world, it's so vast right now with 3-Gun, PRS, IPSC, IDPA, all that good stuff. Yeah. What would you tell somebody if, if, if they want to get into this? What sort of endurance do they need? What sort of time and effort do they need? To, I mean, maybe maybe they don't want to be as achieved as you are, but... It's just something to do, something to get out, something to try yeah, out. What would the beginner need? Like, And there's local matches around here. There's a place called Black Creek, which is down the other end of Hanover County. Great match every month. They have a steel match. You yep. go down there. It's about 100 rounds. You don't need to be intimidated from the beginner to the advanced shooter. They will put you with the right group. What would somebody need that wants to go down there and shoot their first match? Well, I tell everybody, the key thing is is go watch a match first. And what happens is so many people will get in there and they'll talk to a friend and go like, oh, you got to buy this product, you got to buy this holster, you got to buy this ammunition. And then once they get into it, they're going like, ah, oh, that's not really what I want. You've already spent seven, eight hundred or a thousand dollars in something to get started and you got the wrong gear. Right. So talking to the right people who are, have been in the business long enough, you know, just go chat with people. It's what you want to do. So IDPA, USPSA. Would it be three gun or PRS or some of the other action shooting sports? Cavalier shoots them every month over there. Uh, like I said, Black Creek, Fredericksburg Rod and Gun Club is around the road up here. They shoot. There's several clubs in in the East area that you can go and just physically watch. Trust me, it's addicting. And once you get in there and start shooting it, you're going to say, "Wow, this is a lot of fun." If you carry a gun and you, ha- you if you're interested in the firearms industry, that's what you need to get involved in. So my whole thing is if you're going to get into the shooting sports and you want to try it, the key thing is, is go and watch first. Yeah. Okay. You got to see Ask it firsthand. Yeah. Yep. See it firsthand. Handle the guns. Deal with them. Uh, there's a lot of people. Introduction with the production guns. Use a Glock or m and Smith. Yep. Those are very popular guns mm-hmm. to get started with. And so you can get started with a... You know, a $500 gun, a holster and mag, and, you know, several mag pouches, an iPro, a near pro, um, you can get into it for seven, eight hundred dollars to yeah, get started. Yeah, I've been to a couple, you know, I'm no competition pistol shooter, but I think I 
had my gun in three mags and mag pouches, holster, eyes and ears, and about 150 rounds of ammo. And that's all you really need. Right. You know, and the people that are in it, you know, some of the shooting sports get a bad name, especially with the politics today that are going on. But you're going to find out you're going to get a wide range of people. So I shoot with, you know, different people every single weekend across this country. And I'll be sitting there going like, hey, Hunter, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pilot. Oh, well, cool. Hey, Hunter, what do you do? Well, I'm a lawyer. Uh, what do you do? I'm a doctor. So you would get you're getting wide range of people that are in the shooting sports that just love to, you know, firearms themselves. Right. And so whether you're good at it. Whether you just want to learn how to, you know, use your concealed carry gun better. I mean, it's really, it's a lot of great people in the shooting sports. I mean, it's like anything you do. You're going to run across somebody that you may not, you know, agree with or whatever. Sure. But the politics are going to be the same on there. Everybody loves guns. That's right. Okay? Second Amendment have very similar interests. Right. 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 You know, talking, going back to that, that's one thing I've always kind of bothered me. You know, we sell these guns and people buy a box or two of ammunition. They go shoot a box and keep a box and think they're ready for the next threat. Right. You got to shoot and train, man. I mean, 100 rounds a year ain't going to cut it. Why does the Army shoot every day and train? Sure. So you're ready for the situation. So so people ask me all the time, said, Todd, you know, you know, shooting is a perishable skill. And so it's kind of like, where do you go along the way where you start dropping off and losing your skill set? So over the years, I've had injuries where I've had an injury with my hand. I've had an injury with my shoulder. I got, you know, tennis elbow where I would have to go four five, six months where I have to lay off the game, you know, because I was shooting so much. And I tell everybody it was amazing when I jumped back on the bicycle, I fell down. And it's kind of like I couldn't even learn. I, I mean, I knew the fundamentals of shooting. But it's kind of like I lost all that skill set in about four or five months. So if you're not out shooting your gun at least every, I would say every two months, go out and shoot a bust a box of ammo with it. You can lose your manipulation skills, understanding what the fundamentals are, your front sight, your grip. All those things can change. So if you're buying a gun from Green Top today, go out and shoot 50 rounds and throw it in a drawer and you think you're going to protect your family with it or protect someone else, you're sadly mistaken because all the things that can go wrong, holding the gun incorrectly, the gun not cycling, you can have a jam with the gun, having the right ammunition. Was the ammunition stored correctly? You know, because it may not go bang. Sure, right. Guess what? You carry a gun every day. I carry a gun every single day. So whenever you see me, you know I got a gun on, okay? And I've been carrying one since I was 21 years old. I was like, the, I was 21. I'm the cops in Hopewell. Going, I was born and raised in Hopewell. And they're they're going like, what do you want to carry a gun for? Like, that guy stuck a gun in my damn face. Right. <laughs> right. You know, I was going like, I want to learn to protect myself. And that's, yeah. that's how that whole, you know, my, my story came along. But if you're not cleaning your concealed carry gun once a month, it's going to go down on you. Especially small guns with has short sight radio slides on. They just don't recycle. They need to be able to help be held properly. So you're going to get yourself in trouble. It may go bang for the first time, first shot. But you may end up in a situation where you may need to shoot more than one round. And um, and I, I, I beg people, if you're a concealed carry holder, go to the range and shoot your gun at least every couple of months. And, oh, my God, how many women are we seeing now that are oh, getting it's into it? And tremendous. It's well, not it's, only that, just new shooters in general. Yeah. New, yeah. We're over – well, like we talked about it before we started. It's what We're up to about, what, 10 million new young gun we owners now? We have 10 now? million new gun owners, and there's 20 million guns that were sold in 2020. That's a new number some <laughs> from NSSF. And, yeah. And, you know, and, and this is the problem with the ammo. The, the problem is, is yeah. with the ammo is that – 
you know, I, I mean, I work in the industry, so I work. I don't work for federal, but my company is through Hoppies. They actually Hoppies is owned by federal, and so essentially, those guys. If you guys, you well know, if you don't, if they make as much ammo as they can to sell out to distributors and dealers, it's a, you're a year and a half out. Yep. Plus, That's, you know, yeah. a lot of people don't think about this. Think of the ammo each manufacturer needs for R and D and testing. You, you would not believe how That's what many I'm rounds. Saying. That is a ton. Yeah, we're we're just just our company alone. So we're building eighteen to twenty thousand guns a year. So what happens is when those guns are going out the door, and we're selling them to, cause we sell a lot to law enforcement. So you know we're selling four hundred fifty guns to LAPD. So here here last year. So they require for us to test those each one of those guns sure. to have five hundred to seven hundred rounds to them, and they had to view it. So. You know, we're burning that ammo up, and it's kind of like you know, you you think it's fun, but it's not fun just going out and just burning up five hundred rounds to a gun. Right. Uh, after the end of the day, you're going like, oh, I can't lift my hand, you know. So, but yeah, it's a real problem for the industry, and you know, so most industry um, companies will shoot six or eight rounds out of a gun. What they'll do if yeah. you have a problem with it, goes back in the service, goes back to your QC, and they'll come back and shoot twenty rounds to it. They may shoot forty rounds to it. And so you might have a gun that you buy off the shelf that may have been tested maybe a couple of times to make sure that it's right going out the door to the dealer. Yeah. Todd, it's been great having you on today, man. Anything you want to leave with our listeners today? Yeah. One thing I want, li- I want everybody to understand is you need to call your legislators. You need to get involved in politics in the state of Virginia, and you need to get involved in politics and what's going on up in D.C. because we are, on, we are teetering from losing everything. I think we're to the point now where I think that I'm, I'm saddened by what's what's happening and what's going on in D.C. What I have done for the last 38 years of my career in shooting and could be over within a year. Absolutely, we may not right. be we may not be able to even go shoot a bullet. You know, with somebody tattletale on me. I heard a gunfire go off, and you know, it's coming from you know, it's coming from Hunter's house or Travis's house or Todd's you know house. And we might not be able to shoot a gun. Yeah. And so the next generation of, of people who are buying firearms, which are those 10 million firearm owners out there, go shoot your guns. Be involved. Get engaged, especially in the politics that's going on in Virginia and in D.C. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very concerned. Man, like you said, it's, it's very scary that uh, there are, there's people with ideas like that right now. They want to, you know, create laws like that, and especially with with all the new gun owners now, brand new gun owners. Doesn't matter whether they vote Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever. They they need to understand what that Second Amendment means to them now. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. Right? You know, they don't realize the importance of it. Well, I'm heavily in, involved in politics in Virginia, so it's got governor's race coming up this year, and we have some. We have a lot of people running to for governor here, yeah. and you know. Between Amanda Chase, who is a very pro-gun active candidate here, Kurt Cox, Kurt who Cox. I Kurt called me up and said, "Hey, Todd, I want to get involved in the shooting sports, and what can you do to help me out?" And, you know, we got a couple other guys that are running. Yeah, you got uh, Merle Rutledge uh, out of Virginia Beach. He's a big pro two A yep. guy, a big pro Trump guy too, uh, from what I understand. But uh, you know, we just um, you know, we we need to. Well, and there's Terry. Yeah. Well, I can tell you right now, we, um, yeah. We don't need a rerun of that. We don't need a rerun no. of what happened there. So, uh, and I think that's the reason why a lot of the politics uh, on the legislative side in Virginia, we didn't get any guns bills passed this year because they know Terry's going to run and Terry's going to lay it off of it. 
and we knew that DC, they know that DC is going to do something. So get involved in with your congressman and your senators, write them letters, tell them you do not affect what's going on in your town and your ability to be able to maintain the care of uh, a firearm properly. So get out and vote, most important thing. How, how do people follow you? Uh, they t- can follow me on Facebook. I have an athlete page. Uh, it's Todd Jarrett. It's a little emblem of a guy jumping through the air, and, and so you can look me up there. So I have about uh, 30,000 30, people to follow me on Facebook. You can message me off of Facebook if you got any questions from today. Man, Todd, great having you on the day. Got um, it. Well, thank you, everybody, for stopping in, and um, take a kid on um, shooting. That's yeah, all I got to absolutely. say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. If you're enjoying the Green Top Outdoors, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a five-star review and tell your friends to give us a listen. We appreciate your support, and we'll see you in the outdoors. Thanks for listening to the Green Top Outdoors podcast. Hunting, fishing, and all things outdoors. It's not just a hobby, it's a lifestyle. Like and subscribe to the Green Top Outdoors podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and learn more about Green Top at greentophuntfish.com.